Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm sitting here at ASHA 2023 with... Rachel Madel. How's it going, Rachel? It's great, Chris. I'm so excited. So here we are at ASHA. It's our only day here. Like, we came in for a one-day pass, one day. Um, I had two presentations, one with you, right, which we're about to do. We're, like, sitting here just before we're about to go do the coaching one. How has ASHA been for you? It's been awesome, Chris. We've, like, just, we came real fast. We did the whole day today, and we're leaving tomorrow, but we've saw we've seen so many people and it's been so fun and uh, I saw some great sessions um, got some new interviews lined up for the podcast so yeah it's been a great a great day it's kind of a whirlwind right I mean uh, we spent some time walking around the vendor hall going to see people that we know and you know over the years made relationships with then we also went down to the uh, poster sessions and sort of supported uh, a lot of the poster sessions are done by grad students right so mm-hmm. support their their efforts in the research and then um, I think I know one of the sessions that I had some takeaways from was the MTS, one of the MTSS. It seems to be a thing that there were multiple sessions on multi-tiered system of support in school districts, which of course is sort of aligned with the specific language system first approach. So it was exciting to see like packed rooms of people thinking about how to organize their instruction and their resources in a tiered, in a tiered format. Yeah, I um, had the pleasure of seeing Tiffany Joseph, who um, some of you guys might know on uh, social media as nigh-functioning autism. So Tiffany is a, a part-time autistic AAC user, and boy, were there some takeaways in that session. I went up to Tiffany after her session and, I mean, said, you did an amazing job, but also was like, you have to come on the podcast. And her and I had been messaging prior to uh, th- this week um, because she's been on my radar for a while, but we're definitely solidifying that interview just because... Wow, like so many amazing takeaways from that session. Can you think of one, like one, one big one that just jumps in your mind? One of my favorite parts was this analogy that she gave of a car and how, you know, being autistic and having some challenges with uh, dyspraxia and motor planning, you know, it's like being in a car that's, you know, not reliable. And so you're trying to turn the steering wheel left and it goes right. And, you know, sometimes you're trying to hit the brake, but you hit the gas. And I just thought it was such a beautiful analogy as to what our autistic uh, students experience sometimes when it comes to accessing their verbal speech, which, of course, we know is why AAC is so powerful. Um, But I just thought the way she explained that and that analogy that she used was just so powerful. And I'm definitely going to have her explain that again in more detail when she's on the podcast. (laughs) Excellent. Looking forward to it. All right. I guess we better have over to our session. Let's tell you about the interview today. So the interview today is with Kim Zajak, who is a speech language pathologist actually here in the Massachusetts area. Um, And we talk all about, uh, well, her and I um, have known each other for years, but we actually saw each other at um, the ISTE conference. So we talk about that experience and some of the work that she's doing around ed tech. So enjoy this interview with Kimberly Zajak. Hey, Rachel, guess what? We're headed back to... ATAA! We've been doing this now for a couple of years, and it's always super fun time. It's uh, a great experience, and so this, this is a whole, what, a whole day together doing a pre-conference. I love our pre-conference, Chris. It's just like such an amazing group every single year, and... 
every single year, it's totally different. I feel like it's never the same day twice and just full of tons of fun activities and lots of engaging conversations. And by the end of it, we're all like BFFs and it's so much fun. So if you're interested in attending, check us out at ATIA.org, find the pre-conference link, find us and sign up and we'll see you there. Welcome to the Talking With Tech podcast. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Kimberly Zajac. Am I saying your name right? That is correct. Thank you. Um, do you go by Kimberly or Kim? How, how should I address you? Um, Kim's fine. Kim. Well, and you and I have met many, many times in person, but it's often like in quick passing at a conference. You know, I feel like we've got to know each other a little bit through Twitter, now X. And then anytime that we've met beyond that, it's been you know, a quick five minute or less conversation like, hey, I like your work. I like your work. And it's like, we have to get together and talk more. And why not just do that on the podcast where everyone everyone else can benefit from it as well? I could not agree more. We are definitely uh, ships in the night at times and lucky to grab a couple of minutes here and there at different events we're both attending or speaking at or, or contributing to. And so, yeah, I'm really excited to to be able to share this time and space with you this morning and um, talk about the work that we do. So let's talk about that. So let's tell people a little bit about who you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, so my name is Kim Sajak, and I am a speech and language pathologist. I am also an audiologist. I hold a dual degree, um, which is kind of like being a unicorn in some ways. I think there are less than 800 of us in the entire country um, who were crazy enough to pursue two channels <laughs> of communication. Um, and um, so a lot of times I'll refer to myself as a communication specialist because um, I don't always like to to align to just one channel, um, you know, think inclusively, right? Um, and so my current role as a communication specialist is within the Norton Public Schools in Massachusetts, where I service students in grades six through 12 in the secondary education uh, circle. And uh, the students that I work with um, range in terms of who they are, um, their interests, their skills, um, you know, the directions and visions they have for themselves uh, as uh, in, for life um, and as learners. And I also enjoy working with the educators that we are all connected with. So I have a lot of um, opportunity there to learn and grow with people, um, which is a real pleasure. Um, the other um, thing that I do is I sit on the board of Massachusetts Computer Using Educators Organization, which is an affiliate of ISTE. And uh, the work we do there is to... Um, provide space for educators um, of, on all levels to connect, to um, be educated and inspired, and to just grow circles of, um, of communication and collaboration to serve our students in ways that leverages technology in creative, innovative ways to provide access, equity, and inclusion opportunities and experiences. Mm -hmm. um, I have another hat that I wear. <laughs> I wear a lot of hats. I need a bigger closet. Um, I'm also an affiliated faculty member at Emerson College. I um, will teach their virtual practicum course. Um, and so that's been interesting for me as well, because I've got to use um, 
technology, educational technology in ways that connect to higher education and um, pre-service process of growing into uh, speech language pathology clinician, um, the future, if you will, of our uh, field. So um, yeah, that's sort of who I am in a quick nutshell. I'm also a mom um, to two teenage daughters, one who's going off to college soon. So my world is um, a very busy place. No chance that that daughter is going off to Virginia Tech. She is not going off to Virginia (laughs) Tech, but she'll be nearby at University of North Carolina at Wilmington. Oh, really? Okay. So it is, you're driving down the 95 corridor to to drop them off? Yes. Yes. So making the voyage, some of us are driving, some of us are flying. um, And that's the wonderful thing about being East Coast is that there are options. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, depending on what's available and what makes the most sense at the time, that's what we can do. Awesome. Awesome. That's super exciting. I didn't, I guess I didn't realize that we had kids in similar ages because I have two kids as well, one off to college in uh, literally a few days. And then, um, so we're all kind of freaking out around here about how that's going to change. Seems like you're in the same boat there. Um, But let's talk about your work. Uh, Let's start with MassQ. Uh, just real quick, um, because some of the things you were saying were really resonating with me in the work that um, I've had the great opportunity to participate in with VISTI. So VISTI is the Virginia Society for Technology and Education. And so if there's this international society for technology and education, then so that's like the big organization. There's a state level organization across the United States. Yours is MassQ. Uh, mine is VISTI. And they seem to have similar missions as far as sort of understanding that we need to bring inclusive practices to the forefront of uh, of every educator. Is that fair? Absolutely. That is the target, is to, to really provide access to all educators to uh, grow and learn and be really... Um, at the front of understanding what the different tools and resources are that are available, which are ever-changing, um, which is why being part of an organization such as VISTI or MassQ or ISTE, the, the overall um, umbrella organization, is helpful to to stay current, to be in the, in the know of, of what the new ways and practices have grown to become. Well, and I would add that um, sometimes I feel... I don't know if you feel this way. I'm going to say how I feel and then you see if you can relate to this or not. I feel a little frustrated with myself because I often find myself in an echo chamber when I'm doing presentations or um, I'm invited to come someplace where it is. It's it's people that already align with my view. You know, I'm not I, I might be moving the needle from a, someone from who's already an eight to a nine. You know what I mean? As opposed mm-hmm. to someone who's a two to a seven. You know, because I'm yes. not, I also, I'm not, I'm not in the right room, right? Because these are not the educators. These are not the educators that need to learn about this. They're already going to move in this direction and uh, I'm going to help them along. Sure. And they're going to help me along, but how do I get to the person that does not have this inclusive mindset yet? And you said you do like some professional learning and you do speaking engagements. How, what are your feelings about that? I agree. I mean, I think that there are those early adopters who are always going to show up because it's it feeds sort of their interest in what they're already doing. It validates and teaches new ideas. Um, and then um, 
yeah, extending and casting the net a little broader to include maybe those who are interested, but maybe a little hesitant. Or um, I think for me personally, when I'm uh, presenting PD, I notice that there's a, a majority of special educators in the audience and a lower number of general educators in the audience. And um, I would love to see that become more balanced and to, to shift um, because all students are our students for all teachers, right? And so um, finding ways to encourage that participation and make um, the access and the understanding for why it would be value added to attend PD that targets inclusivity through the use of things like, say, assistive technology and, and just educational technology in general, um, I think is an important step for us to try to um, figure out. Um, I yeah. think a lot of times people will ask, like, well, that sounds like a great course, but um, I don't work with um, students who use that kind of technology or um, I teach content. Um, why would I need to go there? Um, and so just the backdrop of educating and helping people see the value and how it, how it will help their students, but also there's a value added benefit for the educator as well. Mm -hmm. um, we are all learners, right? And so, and we, as the educators are the designers of the learning experiences that we present to our students. And so if we create them in a way and design them in a way that can meet the needs of all and have sort of a system of, of pulleys um, that can either increase or decrease what is needed to make that possible, then the end product or the end experience um, becomes um, a more fluid process um, that's been designed for ahead of time and with adjustments made along the way, which in the end, we see more positive outcomes, better learning, deeper learning, and happier students who feel good about who they are. And I feel like the leadership in VISTI, and it sounds like the leadership in MassQ sort of realizes that. Like it, we help everybody if we focus on these sorts of strategies and tools and interventions. Um, so let me ask, how did you get involved with MassQ? Is it something that you had to go kick down the door or are they looking for you? What was the, <laughs> tell us the story. <laughs> okay, so the, the story is that actually my oldest daughter, the one who's going off to college, she uh, was in fifth grade at the time and she had a teacher by the name of Raina Friedman. You may or may not have met or known of Raina, but she's um, a very big proponent of inclusive uh, teaching and learning and the use of educational technology in the process of, of pursuing those things. Um, and so my daughter learned a lot about using technology as a part of her learning process by being a student in Raina's classroom. And at the time, I believe Raina was president-elect of MassQ. And so, um, you know, we just got to talking as a speech pathologist. I've always been very interested in technology um, for assistive technology uh, access and, and um, you know, creating better ways forward for students as well as augmentative communication uh, for nonverbal and uh, mixed verbal students. Um, and so she she explained to me what the organization was, what it, you know, how does it work? And I decided to uh, pursue membership. And I started a special interest group. At the time, it was called the SLP and Special Education Special Interest Group. We've now shifted that name to Inclusive Learning Special Interest Group um, to be more inclusive um, of all educators. Um, and so that's how I got connected to MassQ, is really through experience through my own child 
and the teacher she had. And then I um, started my own journey with MassQ and my own professional um, journey of trying to provide the same inspiration for other educators and parents. Well, I think it's working. <laughs> um, let me ask you, well, let me say this, that um, this podcast is primarily about augmentative and alternative communication, right? With the larger theme being inclusive practices. And so I hope a par- a, uh, someone listening right now might go, well, okay, Chris is doing stuff in VISTI and Kim is doing stuff in MassQ. What's my state organization and what does their inclusive practices or inclusive initiative look like? And maybe that's my thing this year. Like maybe that's what I should go and, and, and get more people, <laughs> include myself in their work so that I can include more people in our work. Right. Get yeah. those conversations started and get those groups and gatherings together. Um, because it's really just about getting started. There's no roadmap. There's no requirement. There's no obligation. You can just take it and use that as a, a resource as a network to bring you the, to the places you want to go and to ask questions that you are looking for answers and really just, um, you know, um, expand the possibilities for that beyond what's, you know, right in front of you or even in your own district. Um, it's, it's helpful to hear other perspectives. It's helpful to hear what's worked for other people. Many times the questions we're asking or the challenges we're trying to figure out have already been, manage or, or been a, a situation somewhere else. And people can tell you their story of what, how they, how it was for them, what worked, what they maybe would do differently. Um, what didn't work, what failed. All of those stories are so important to be able to hear and share. All right. Speaking of what worked. So your day-to-day job where you spend most of your time, you know, the hours that uh, in the week is at that, that job from six, from, you said six through 12th grade. Did I get that? Yes. Right? <laughs> yep. And you do some really innovative therapy and work with the kids and then work with the educators. So let's talk about that, because I feel like that's also what you then present about, right? Like, here's stuff that works for me. Um, And then I'll just tie one last thing in here before I just let you think on that for a second. The last time you and I saw each other in person was at the ISTE conference, and I was at the Dungeons and Dragons session that that these two uh, guys put together, and you come rolling in, and I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) there's you, and and talking about doing, like, role play. uh, you know, role-playing games, which everyone who listens to this podcast is like, oh, here's Chris talking about Dungeons and Dragons again. But I was like, see, look at other people are showing an interest. And tell me, did, wasn't that like a super fun session? It was so fun. It was my favorite session, actually, of I th- the entire conference. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> right? Because it pushed my learning and it was so experiential. Um and also there was sort of a sense of community, but like, that's hard to imagine that you shared what 60 minutes or 50 minutes with a group, but you felt like a community mm-hmm. really quickly. Yeah. And to me, that's a real like important jumping off point for any work we do, um, in schools. Um, and in particular, um, when we're doing work that relates to communication, right. Um, is knowing where you are who you're sharing space with and being able to um, use opportunities within that to practice skills, strategies, and to also in the big picture, feel good about and get joy and benefit as a, as a human being from what the work is that you've done. 
Right. It makes school fun. It makes school social. It makes, um, and those are skills that people need to learn. So tell us about some of the awesome stuff that you're doing. So, okay. My approach to speech and language um, service in the secondary level um, is not like what most people think it might be, right? So sometimes people hear, oh, you're a speech and language pathologist. You work on the sounds and you do cards and worksheets. <laughs> there is a time and place for those. Um, it's not to yeah, say they 1985. Don't 1985. <laughs> that was the time and place. Much. For it. Yep. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. But like, yeah, like sometimes we need to refer to a visual or a card or a for um, sure a, a worksheet to jot down and make our thinking visible before we can work with it sort of as uh, an oral process um, or a cognitive process, cognitive linguistic process. Um, so my my approach is experiential and very student driven. So um, if we're you know of course we we work on the goals that are outlined in the IEP so that each individual student's needs are being met um, and overall you know goals of groups are being met. But the way I get there is usually um, through not worksheets and not cards and not sit and deliver sort of things. So we, we get on our feet and we do things. And we, so that might be in the process of uh, building a board game, right? So we may be working, I may have a group working on um, social communication skills, the ability to collaborate, the ability to um, share ideas, to receive ideas, to um, give and receive feedback, to make inferences, to make predictions, to um, be able to make in-process um, corrections or edits to one's thinking or written or oral expression um, to align to right um, the rules of syntax and grammar using target vocabulary um, that ties to curriculum, using eye gaze, using bodies facing each other, using facial expression and tone of voice that are um, aligned to creating a comfortable environment for all. Um, and so we, you know, might use the process of creating a board game to target all of those skills in very sequential, intentional steps. So the board game does not get created in one session. Mm -hmm. That is something that takes, you know, it could take the entire semester. It could take longer than one semester. It's okay. We, d we are, we're always hoping to be finished by the end of the year so we can have an end product that we can then execute in a social way and invite people to come to our um, unveiling or our reveal, um, which is, opens up more opportunity again to how uh, it assimilates real world um, community interactions. We host events, we invite people, we tell them the important things of where, when, why, what to bring. We then bring them into a space and they can practice, um, you know, welcoming people in, explaining rules, and then the actual gameplay balancing emotional regulation, excitement, communication, social expectations, and also processing reflection and iterative thinking through gameplay and coming out on the other side of it, having enjoyed it and have it not feel um, difficult, but to have felt like a supported, I planned for this experience. I was ready for this. So that's one example, right? So board game development. Um, I'll also use podcasting as an opportunity to build um, speech language skills, the ability to um, work on the executive functioning pieces of planning communication, 
as well as um, uh, if we're working in partners, um, the social communication and the uh, collaborative process. So those are two examples. Um, well, let me we're just, to... can I reflect on those two for a second? Let me just say a word that I didn't hear you say, but I connected both of those is authentic, meaning the kids are, have an authentic audience that they are working for. We're going to make this game and we're going to actually play it with others. And those might be, who, who, who are they Who are they making it for? Could it be anybody to play the game? Are they making it for a particular age group? Like we're working, since you're working from six to 12, is it, hey, we're, I partner with an elementary school and we're going to go down there and show the second graders how to play this game. Or is it like, no, the assistant and principal and uh, a group of um, high school kids or like, or all of the above, Chris, we've done both or we, we try and make I... it both. You know, how does it all work? I leave it up to the students. So it's very highly student driven and they make the decisions together with sort of a scaffold provided by me. And I will, you know, if they're, if they're sort of in a stuck position where there's two opposing opinions, I will ask questions to push their thinking. And I've never needed to make a decision for a group. They always arrive to their their collaborative agreed upon decision, which is really important for middle school students or anti school students, because there's a big shift when you leave elementary school and you enter secondary. There's so much more group work. There's there are labs. There, you know, lunch is not just with your the people that you sit with in class all day long. Um, and so there's many more opportunities for challenges to arise where collaborative decision making needs to happen, and if a student has weakness in the, that area, right, of making collaborative decisions or communication or any emotional regulation, that can cause withdrawal. That can cause students to then not participate in things. And then we are losing opportunities to either build skills that are there but just need to be boosted and practiced, or if it is a lagging or an absent skill, showing the way of how and building it from the ground up. And then also building an awareness of self for using skills or needing to use skills. Um, one thing that I did in with one of my board game groups this year was um, I gave them sort of like a self-assessment rubric. Um, this was their second round with me creating board games. And so I said, okay, now I want you to be in charge of yourself. And I want for you to notice when you're using these five skills within the context of working on building your game today. And so they would need to give themselves check marks if they did use it. And I was also keeping my own and we would do a compare and contrast. What did you see? What did I see? And then we leveraged it even higher when they got, they all got very good at that and were highly accurate. I said, okay, so you don't just communicate with yourself. You communicate with a group. So now I would like you to keep track of yourself and a group mate. And I want for you to see and aim to have balance with the social communication behaviors that you're using and be sure that it's not just one over the other, right? That you're, you're sharing this opportunity and experience equally as equally or as balanced as possible. That was super cool. It opened up a perspective that they never had thought of. They were like, this is really cool. Like I noticed I did all the talking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I did not give John time or even uh, like a minute to talk. And I was like, okay, so I, might, I noticed that, <laughs> right? Like what, how can we, what can we shift to, you know, differently? And don't you know it, the shifts would happen yeah. and they were proud of it. The eye contact, like they, you know, middle schoolers, so they like to do, they're, they're fine. They, 
they don't need me. Although mm -hmm. this one particular student was actively really trying to do what he was charged with as a task or a challenge. And he did it. And then he looked out of the corner of his eye at me and kind of smiled. <laughs> and I said, Good that's job. growth. That's growth. You just recognize growth in yourself. Right. <laughs> and, right? You and that's so important. Mm -hmm. It's so important, especially with our students who have um, maybe were in up middle or upper elementary school during the pandemic when things shut down and opportunities to grow these sort of self-assessments and ability to uh, even even to grow the skills themselves um, when absent. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's been great. Yeah. The, what I found with the pandemic, tell me if this aligns, is that it's they might not have had as many uh, opportunities to have reflective questions asked to them where uh, so that they could get feedback on the decisions they made. Because I, I totally agree with you, like um, the way students will learn, way the way kids, people will learn to make good decisions is by having opportunities to make decisions. So if if educators are just always making the choice for you, do this, do that, follow along here, you don't get a chance to make a mistake. So um, with the pandemic, uh, okay, I might be making mistakes, but I'm not getting feedback on how, what I do differently. And, or even not this feedback, like, Hey, you should do this. No one's asking me the questions or I'm getting less opportunity to ask quite of someone asking me a question. So I'm getting less opportunities to reflect on my decision-making. Right. Or I'm assuming that I'm, that the decisions that I've made are the best ones I could have made. Mm -hmm. Right. We're just assuming, well, no one said anything. It must be okay. Yeah. Um, and that's just, there's nothing that, you know, could be done about that. The you know world shut down. People, teachers were not able to be in classrooms with their students. Parents were home with their students, but needing to be on a computer to do their job. And so there was a lot of independent learning time, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe um, handed to students who were not developmentally in a position to really use that productively. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know the conversation was going this way, but I also say there were some I, I well, I asked, do you know some learners that actually did better because now they had more independent learning time and it wasn't as structured as and there wasn't people telling them that you see you nodding. Yes, I definitely have had that experience. In fact, even one of my own children <laughs> did better with um, some of the pieces of, um, you know, the digital, you know, online learning that was part of the pandemic experience. I think for students who um who might have challenges around like anxiety or even just um, benefit from having more control over the pace of things at that asynchronous piece and having just a little bit more flexibility on when assignments might be due or how, how they were broken down into individual pieces to get to the larger sum um, was really helpful. Um, yeah, I yeah. think it has to be a takeaway whenever there's a conversation about the pandemic because so many people are... Um, immediately put it in the bucket of, well, that was all bad and kids missed out on so much. And I always like to, in the same way that you were sort of balancing out kids taking turns, well, yes, but there was some things we learned from that pandemic and that is flexibility is key. You know, for some kids it worked better. So let's, uh, like you just said, the, the, the asynchronous, be in control of your, when you want to work on certain things and that, that would, that all worked better for them. So let's give them more flexibility. Is that a fair definitely? Takeaway? And and oral presentations too. I feel like kids are more excited to share their screen and talk through what their learning product is, um, more so than standing at the front of the room to do the same 
pretty much task, but just in physical form. Um, you know, and I can say like, I can understand that. I mean, I, I present all the time, but, um, you know, there is something to be said. There is like a, I think because we can only see our screen and not everybody watching us, it reduces the uh, demand on the capacity of our cognitive and emotional system to, you know, self-monitor and be feeling things while you're also delivering and sharing things. Mm-hmm. For sure. For sure. Um, so you mentioned podcasting. Of course, yes. my ears picked up uh, for that particular. So tell us a little bit about that, because, again, I feel like that is um an authentic task, like we're building something for someone else. So that often, again, my experience is I'm a big fan of project-based learning, have some sort of authentic task uh, that that learners themselves choose. And so tell us more about your podcast or their, sorry, tell me about, tell us about their podcast and how um, how it came about, what they like to talk about, all the, the the, the the growth that they've had, share all the things. Sure. Yeah, I agree with you. The authentic learning experiences are really key because it provides students that ability to sort of build their own learning experience with guidance and support. Um, and it also at the same time, or at least toward the end of what the authentic experience is, builds application, right? So oftentimes we, we target skills and we try to build skills and strategy uh, use, but it's, you know, sort of like, splintered and separate. And it's like, we have to create sort of opportunities for the application and transfer process to happen with building a podcast. We can outline sort of like, okay, these are the skill areas that we are, you know, needing to work on. Maybe it's, um, developing vocabulary. Maybe it's, um, increasing the length and complexity of, uh, age, age expected grammar and syntax. Um, Perhaps it, there's even a little bit of reduce your rate so your your speech is fluent involved. And turn-taking, right? Don't take all the turns. Don't do all the talking. And so we talk about what the, the goals are up front, and then it becomes, okay, so here are some choices. Do you want to build a podcast? Do you want to build an infographic? Do you want to do a role play recording a video? Okay. Some pick the podcast and I love the podcast because I think it's a really awesome iterative experience that you can, you know, take in small steps. So then it becomes, okay, you know, are you familiar with a podcast? Most kids are now. Um, but if not, we look through, we listen to podcasts, experience podcasts, rate podcasts. What did you like? From the ones you listen to, what would you like for yours to include? Going from everything from entry music to what is your topic? So think of one example this year, two boys I was working with, they were a small group and working on basically some of the goals that I just mentioned before. And they chose their topic. They wanted to talk about the concept of being hangry. Middle school boys get hangry. And the eighth graders in my school I think that the eighth graders eat the middle lunch. So it's like not super early in the day. So there's some time for them to work up to this hangry. (laughs) So not all the time, but sometimes and almost always by the time school is over. Um, And so that was their topic. And then they learned about scripting, right? How do you make a script? And so we um, talked about the brainstorming process and it provided an opportunity for um, visualized thinking and using idea, uh, you know, kind of like hub and spoke thinking and both of them, you know, contributing to the same piece of paper and looking at it from different perspectives Um, from there working on, okay, what are the sentence structures? What, what do we want um, 
to target what are our voc- in a, and what is our vocabulary that we are trying to increase. And so we'd have like a word bank and together on through Google Docs, they would create their script and use that technology to identify spelling errors, grammar errors, and be given um, opportunities to make choices about how to self-correct that. Um, they did research, right? So within the script, we we used a rubric to also guide um, what the content of the, the podcast would be. And so it needed to be fun, exciting, meet the needs of the audience. Their target audience was middle school students. And for this particular group, um, some of the administrators and teachers that they have. Um, and then research, right? So having evidence to, be, to back up what you're saying. Um, and so they, they did all of those pieces, created a script, they recorded it, and then they listened to it. And while they listened, they also were reading. So they were multi-sensory and thinking about the rubric and making decisions about what would they go back and change? What did they need to add? What needs to be taken away or, or shifted? pertaining to the goals that we identified at the beginning. And then we've had a final um, recording. They gave it the seal of approval. And then we went on to the social piece of hosting a reveal party. It actually was a reveal party and a taste test because they wanted to invite people to help uh, to vote, cast a vote to decide which of the recommended snacks for battling hangry was the best. Right. Okay. So what, what one? Tell us. I'm, I'm... Right? Oh my gosh. So you won't believe it, but um, actually the blue Takis. Oh yeah. Blue Takis. <laughs> blue Takis won. I'm pretty sure it's because they were the, like the hottest and um, <laughs> chips. <laughs> but they're, they're... <laughs> Yeah. Other, other honorable mentions included, well, flaming hot Cheetos and um, oh my gosh. A particular energy bar. I think it might have been a kind bar. Like a or... kind bar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. are super popular in uh, in our neck of the woods as well. For this, particularly that age group. <laughs> yes, but one of the goals for for both of the students was well. Also, we would like more options to deal with our hangry. So we're looking forward to getting our driver's license so that we can then drive to stores to get whatever the um, you know the snack of choice might be for battling the hangries. Right. It's not so everyone we, gets kind bars or blue talkies. It's give us, give me the option so I can choose what I think is right, which is right. goes right along with technology. And for me, hearing that piece about them thinking about having a driver's license, that to me was feedback about the experiential, authentic process of creating a podcast to do the work they needed to do. Right. It put them in the driver's seat, no pun intended. Um, and it allowed for that student voice, student directed they were fully thinking about themselves, right? In a, in a positive way um, and a vision for themselves to be heard and what they're reaching for. Mm. So uh, they felt very heard. Gosh, I love that so much. Is it out there someplace? Like, is can we listen to it? Is it, or is it's, it, it's a, really an audio file that's not shared on the internet so their parents can hear it and whoever they want in the reveal. Gotcha. Yeah, it, it was not, it was offered that it could be published and both of them declined um, for that to that, but they were willing to broadcast it in the, um, you know, in the classroom to the people invited. Love it. Love it. Love mm-hmm. it. All right. You mentioned, you made reference. I mean, so you, you made reference to Google Docs as a piece of technology. You do work with MassQ. You and I were at the International Society for Technology and Education Conference. How do you use technology to help with all the endeavors you just described? 
Mm. So many different ways, right? So the Google Docs is helpful, the Google Drive for organizing everything. For recording that particular podcast, I used a website called the Bokaroo mm -hmm. um, because it was what it was available at the time to me. Um, Free, no sign in. Right. right, exactly. <laughs> Free data privacy is not a problem. Um, so I, yeah, I, I used, utilized that. Um, you know, I've recently learned of um, an upcoming um, feature through Adobe for podcasting that's going to be pretty mind blowing. Um, Where it does so, the editing for you? Is that what you're talking about? Um, just, I can't talk too much about what the features are, but just, Oh, absolutely. it's like you sign an NDA, like, you know, stuff. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but you can Google it. And, and there is what the information that is public is there um, to be Googled. Um, but it, it's pretty game changing. It's pretty like awesome. You're going to love it. I know um, Adobe. I mean, we are not sponsored by any particular company, but um, I feel like Adobe is rocking the house right now when it comes to the AI stuff. Like I've been doing a lot of um, playing with uh, text to image. And when I go to Midjourney or Blue Willow or Dolly, and then I go to Adobe Firefly, Adobe mm -hmm. Firefly just seems to be like, wow, you're so much, uh, it's the, the, in any of these sort of tools, you get four images, right? You type in something, what you want a unicorn with blah, 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 or whatever the thing is. Right. I also find, so, so the quality seems to be better with Adobe and, um, I'll say more inclusive. Like you type in a person, you get four different types of people from different backgrounds. It doesn't look like four white guys. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of thought about that and, and being, you know, representative of all people um, that goes into the work being done there and um, lots of good stuff happening with AI. I'm super excited for what's coming with Adobe Express. Um, you know, it sounds like you've delved into Firefly. Adobe Express is another... Um, another thing to really like look into there's there's a few different new things coming down the pike that are just right in the wheelhouse of what we do excellent that's so, so exciting excellent. yeah and as far as like the board game um you know i give the kids opportunities to make choices do you want this to be a board game do you want there to be it to be a board game with just you know just a board do you want it to be a board game with a board and cards and dice and a spinner so the students i've worked with they've done like everything um they have used technology used google drawings to create um currency um to use within board gameplay um we've used google slides to create um what is uh three by three biographies of the game designers. So visual representation of who they are. Love that. Um, yeah. Credit for your cool. work. <laughs> right. And, um, that's foundational skills for interviewing later and building resumes. Yeah, exactly. If I, who are you and you know, what's represent, what's important to you. And, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it's not always, um, easy for some students to write that out in text, but to identify a symbol or an image that can, reflect that and then guide the verbal explanation. So good, right? Like an elevator pitch to describe yourself. Well, and also thinking through what do I want to share out mm -hmm. to the wide world, right? And what do I want to keep 
for me, you know, kind of like you were saying with the podcast. Um, Let's just keep that in house. We're going to share it, but we're going to share with a, with a closed audience. And as we get better and prepare, maybe then somewhere down the line, we'll have a, a a, a grander release of some of our next thing, right? Like iterative design. Yes, exactly. And, you know, there's so many pieces of technology that are available out there. I mean, there are platforms that students are familiar with within their classroom. So I try to also utilize those things like GimKit. Um, uh, uh, Kahoot is another one. Um, And I would say also one that's specific to the speech and language realm is um, like the everyday speech platform, Mm -hmm. which offers a lot of video modeling um, opportunities, which is not always easy to find in other places, um, you know, in a a way that's super easily accessible. Um, When, when I last saw you at the, or we saw each other at the ISTE conference and I said it was the Dungeons and Dragons uh, session. That is the, I think the last time I saw you, but that's not the first time I saw you at ISTE. We were both at the inclusive learning playground and you were doing sessions there. Can you tell us a little bit about like the sessions you do either at that playground or beyond? Like, what are you presenting on? Yes. So I presented on ways to make, um, engaging in the the learning process more more inclusive and um, um, equitable for all students using visual tools, right? So oftentimes we're building skills and strategies, uh, you know, use and application, and it's done in sort of um, purposeful, um, you know, sort of set up opportunities that, you know, I work with my students sometimes in a pull-out model, but a lot of times in an embedded model as well. Um, so I'll push into the classroom. That's what I do more of the time I actually, um, but being there in the classroom, you don't always want to be using verbal messages to remind and suggest, right? So like very small, subtle visuals can be very highly effective nudges for our students to re to kind of call on what they've been working on in a particular, um, you know, um, area and uh, be able to put it into place in the moment, right? So I I kind of have like this toolbox of visuals that I create that align to the strategies and skills that we're trying to build and and develop. And I I leverage them. And, you know, sometimes it's, you know, that they have them on a keychain themselves, they have it, you know, a sticker on a Chromebook or something taped to the top of their desk, um, or it might be a particular targeted lesson. And I just come in and give them all something right at the beginning and it's just kept right there. So I, I spoke on, on that topic of lever- leveraging the visuals to support students' skill and strategy use and application. Um, can, I, can, I, can I ask mm-hmm. you a specific question about that and then come sure. back to what else you're presenting on? Um, can you give us a quick example of one particular skill, a visual that matches that skill, how you implemented it, and how you created it? Sure. Okay, let me think about that. That's um, like there's this kid this one time and what he really needed was a reminder to, or something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> yes. I'm thinking that, like highly functional. Um, so in some classrooms, there are students who have their hand up all the time or just are blurting because they do know the answer and they want to help and share it. And so we work on things like turn-taking, um, or, um, we work on, even different than turn-taking, becoming more aware of what it is to drive versus stop a conversation with whatever the contribution might be. So um, 
we call them drivers and stoppers. And so, you know, referencing everyday speech, they have a great curriculum and those are, that's the common language um, that they use. And so within that platform, there are visuals that are created that I will print out and I will laminate and I will sometimes modify um, to just, again, like that green car means good job. You drove the conversation with your contribution, right? And so sometimes it's a a positive, like great job, Affirming. Just, mm-hmm. right? Just tapping on the desk or, you know, holding it up or whatever it might be. But if we're using a stopper and maybe not the first time, but like the second time you might be like, mm, like walk by you just by the desk, just tap there. And then, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So people can't get the audio podcast. So I'll create the visual. Kim is putting her finger over her mouth, not in a like a shh way, but sort of like making a mustache with your finger uh, like, under your ooh. nose or maybe a, <laughs> like a little question mark over your. But this sounds like a um, maybe you've worked in this in a very small uh, amount of time outside the classroom. Hey, remember when I put my finger like this or when I touch my badge in a certain way or I tap my shoulder. Um, my wife and I don't tell anyone. Okay. But my wife and I have like signals that we've agreed upon. Like when it's time to leave a party, we do that. And we're like, okay, I'm done. Let's <laughs> time. Can we go now? We do right? this thing. So that like, so sort of the same sort of nonverbal cue, but we have this, I gotcha. Okay. I, I, I understand that I, I am going too far or too fast right now. I got to slow down or yep, something. I have to like, I have to bring this conversation to a close because it's getting late. Um, you know, another example is, um, in working with a student who tends to really enjoy speaking about very distant past memories that other classmates either don't know about, or it's just generally unrelatable. Um, for maybe the other, you know, sixth or seventh grader, um, we created a visual roller coaster of child's lifeline, memorable experiences, and starting from the way way back to the now. And then the encouragement was, let's use topics from the now, and we created a like a sort of like a sub visual of for that topic. What are some conversation starters that you could ask, and what are some drivers that you could then, you know continue with to evolve your conversation initiation successes with uh, grade age peers and lead to the student's overall goal of building his friendship circle and being able to socially invite another student to be part of gameplay or even something outside of school. So building the steps through the visuals. And so in a, you know, social group, if, you know, I was hearing you know, a, a reminiscent memory from when a person was four years old, I might just sort of show the roller coaster and, awesome. oh, you know, um, let me get further along that ride and talk about something more recent. Well, it just ties to their background knowledge too. That's so awesome. All right. So let me ask. Right? And what it's else? fun. Like the roller coaster yes, is it's fun. fun. It's not being told like that's wrong. It's just continue the ride. Get, get to now. Um, and that brings more fun. It will be more fun for you when you do that. I mean, there's certainly an element of fun of everything you're talking about here too. The podcasting, the board games, uh, I, this seems like an underlying theme of our whole conversation. So what else are you presenting on? Oh my goodness. What else am I presenting on? There's I, always... I cut you off by accident. No, I cut you off. <laughs> it actually, I, I think a lot of um, the other uh, presentation that I did at ISTE had to do with basically like leveraging games and game development, um, visual, you know, visual um, organization of thinking, um, 
in solving problems. I'm trying to think of what I'm, I'm presenting at next. Um, <laughs> we have MassQ coming up. We have a fall conference in October at Gillette Stadium, and I will be presenting there on a the, uh, couple of different topics. One is um, using a tool called the Innovators Compass, um, which you might have met Ella at uh, ISTE. Yes, I did. Love that tool. It is a wonderful tool, which is is basically, if I can summarize it quickly, um, it's a tool created by uh, Ella Benher. It's the Innovators Compass. You can find it at innovatorscompass.org. And uh, it is a tool, a framework of questions to help anyone get unstuck from any challenge or situation or problem that needs to be solved. And it just keeps people and humans at the center of the thinking and pushes us through sort of a, a, a five questions of sort of, you know, who's involved, what's happening and why, um, what matters most, what are some ideas and what are some experiments or steps to try? Um, it sounds so simple. Um, we all know the process is not simple, but I found it to be very helpful with students, um, you know, in working through social communication, breakdowns, challenges, um, even working through like challenges with, um, even just work completion, things like that. Like what, what's the barrier, what's in the way. Um, and we've used the innovators compass to support the deeper thinking of literature. So we might, um, be reading a book together and uh, in an ELA class, um, mango street is one example where we can then like take a look at and do a little character analysis and look at the story through a character's lens. And maybe they're having facing a challenge and then think through that using the compass right? Higher order thinking is sometimes challenging for students. And so it breaks that down um, into more manageable chunks. So I'm presenting... This is, they're going to use that for the rest of their life, you know? They they will. And I have students who like use the compass in the world outside of the school walls, which I love hearing those stories because it's just super helpful. That's what we're here to, to do. Um, so that's one area that I'm presenting on. So again, it connects back to that visual thinking, the supporting of higher deeper thinking just through modified processes. And um, I'm also presenting on building a community through the use of um, basically like social club dynamics and photography. I'm co-presenting with a, a teacher that I work with at the Norton Middle School. And so very excited um, to do that. Tell me, tell us more. So there is a, a club at the middle school that students can join. And um, the teacher that I work with, her name is Tara Anderson. She's the club leader. And she basically teaches the kids how, about photography, you know, some of the, the, the elements and pillars of, you know, taking pictures and really using them to communicate meaning. Um, talks a lot about perspective, um, you know, uh, using grids to kind of capture different angles and um, convey different meaning there, I could go on and on. And she makes it interactive. There's usually scavenger hunts involved. And, um, and from my point of view, I, you know, I work on perspective as well. So perspective taking and taking pictures and then creating something different with it. Like, so I sometimes will call it shadow meets doodle and I'll take a picture of something. And then whatever the shadow is of, of what, the object of our attention is becomes something else that transforms what we think we see into something different. Um, and so it creates a space after school for kids to come together and build friendships for some students, building friendships 
comes naturally and it's easy, or maybe they have clubs or sports that they do outside of school that just facilitate that. And for other students, that's not the case. So um, it's been really wonderful to see what the provision of this particular club and what mine and Tara's shared love and creative minds around photography and visual thinking and doodling has been able to kind of bring um, to the students to experience and grow their own you know, sense of community and interaction together. Awesome. It sounds awesome. Uh, they're going to be great presentations. I wish I could be at MassQ to go see them. <laughs> I know. Well, we loved when you joined us at MassQ a few years ago now. That was pre-pandemic, I think. It was. It, it was. was like but oh, what a good time. Yeah. Yeah. Even though it was at Gillette Stadium and I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. <laughs> It was awesome to be there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's it, it does. There there is some football um, <laughs> friendly rivalry um, conversations that do take place there as well. <laughs> uh, let me ask you this: So here we are uh, at the time of this recording. It's summertime, and that often means uh, intentional learning for educators. But just in general, let me ask you, what's got you really excited? What's got you really curious? What are you kind of wondering about in the world of education, speech, inclusion, whatever, whatever you want to talk about? What's sort of floating your boat recently? I am really excited to see where we can uh, take all the possibilities and positive things of AI mm -hmm. to support our students in their learning journey. Um, I'm really excited for there to be um, access to positive press about about AI, um, both for student benefit and teacher educator benefit. Um, I feel that, you know, again, like we are all learners, we are all tasking to the same common goal um, of working smarter, not harder, providing accessible, equitable um, entry points to the learning process. I think I said this before to someone else, like I just see more possibility with AI than I do, um, you know, perils. Mm -hmm. um, and it, while new things can be a little scary and there will be hiccups and there are things that will need to be figured out or reworked and considered, I think having a growth mindset and being willing to try even just as yourself first, um, is is really important and there's some really good books out there right now that can help educators find a comfortable starting point um there's a book out by mary howard there's a book out by donnie pierce donnie piercy um and they i for me personally those um those books and i'm sure there are many other resources in, in books as well but they provided a very comfortable starting point for me to open the door um, and I'm, I'm an early adopter. I'm mm -hmm. not afraid to try and take risks, but I'll tell you, my eyebrows were speculative. Like, Hmm, how is this? Like, what's it going to be like? And as I experienced it, I, I just couldn't I literally couldn't close the, the flood doors of possibility, which is awesome. So I'm really curious about AI. I'm excited to see where we can take it. I'm excited, um, to be part of, of discovering what we can do with it. Yeah. Uh, to be honest with you, everything you were saying through this entire presentation, because that AI conversation is now uh, always in the back of my head. I'm like, hmm, I wonder how they could use AI to use, to create the board games and to create the scripts for the podcast and then use that. It was, mm -hmm. it was always kind of floating in the back of my head because it is a, uh, you mentioned how whatever's coming with Adobe is a game changer for podcasting. 
this is certainly a game changer for learning. And I'm with you. It's totally optimistic. I get a little scared about um, people confusing school and learning like, well, it might influence school in ways that um, might mean we have to change how school is, you know, and change is often um, hard for people. So, uh, but from a learning standpoint and the future that the kids were meant to help educate uh, where they're going, it's going to be a part of their lives. So we can't just, um, it's time to go get those books you were mentioning and and, and dig in. It's not yeah. going anywhere. It's going to be here for a while. That's what I I say. And honestly, I think it's going to become a, a real significant design asset for mm -hmm. us as educators in designing inclusive experiences, right? And taking all the pieces of universal design and being able to put it in one place and understanding that, you know, chat GPT and AI, it's not one and done. It can, it's a process and it's, you get back from it, what you ask it for. And then it's up to you. It actually builds in opportunities for that reflective, iterative process that it is absent sometimes, unless it's intentionally baked into the design plan and process of a lesson. Um, oftentimes the reflection is saved till the end, but with AI, it can be throughout the entire thing. Literally in the name, it says the word chat. And so when we were talking earlier about the kids learning to take turns, that's sort of the same idea when it comes to that particular tool. Uh, it's not just plugging in one thing and getting an answer. It's plugging in one thing and starting a conversation. And so I you're going that. back and forth, right? That's I never thought of it that way, but I love, I love that perspective. And it's so true. It's a conversation with the technology, but also it's a conversation with yourself. Totally. <laughs> totally. You're getting feed, feedback from something that's not judging you. <laughs> you right. know, yeah. Which I can think of so many students who need that to develop their confidence as communicators and learners. Totally. Totally. See, we're, we could go on. This could be a whole nother podcast talking about the opportunities, the AI. I'm glad I, I, I'm glad that's what you said, though, because it's totally, again, in you and I as uh, ships passing in the night, but you can just feel the energy of like, we're aligned. Sure, that was you're going to what? Because that's exactly what's on my mind, too. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, well, let me ask, is there any kind of last things that, um, you know, I, oh, Christy, you know what I should have told you about or something that we didn't really get to touch on that people need to know? Is there any last things mm -hmm. to, to mention? Everybody needs to know about this. Let's see. Oh, my goodness. Everybody needs to know. Mm -hmm. I think everybody needs to know. I think it is to keep that open growth mindset around AI. I think leading into this next school year, and it's not to, you know, be redundant, but I, I feel like it is, it is a concept itself. And then it is also going to appear on the scene as integrated into all the things, the things new and all the things we've known. So things we've known will present to us with AI waving hello within the tool that we've used in a different way before, um, because that will be important to hold place in a competitive marketplace. Mm -hmm. for our developers. And so I think it's really important for everyone to keep in mind their own professional educator growth mindset and to hold space for possibility. And while I do appreciate and, and at times do share some speculation and um, 
um, what's the word, um, speculation and concern for perils. I think that when that happens, we should return to ourselves and think about our own person, our own design and what we've created as, uh, the invitations to our students, uh, for learning and ask ourselves if, if we've left something out or made an oversight that would create space for misuse or unproductive use of AI, um, through, you know, just in what we've been, what we've invited students to do. Love it. Love it. Kim, thank you so much for your time here on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. I can't wait to, to see you again at the next conference. Yes, I agree. I'm so excited to have been here this morning. Thank you for inviting me and, um, you know, pushing my thinking with the questions and, um, getting me thinking toward the future and, and what I should be thinking about and doing next. All right. See you later. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Kim. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.